Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Craig, it's time to do another tribute episode. Am I right? It seems like it's just happening far too frequently lately, doesn't it? It sure does. Um, who did we have? A couple weeks ago, we had... Rom- uh, no, no, not, no, not Romero, Romero, right? We did yeah. have Romero, yep. We had Romero... Um, before and it's, that, it's just been a, it's just been a year since Wes Craven. We're losing lots of people. All kind of from the same era. We're looking at like yeah. you know, the late seventies, uh, early eighties when these guys got their claim to fame. And uh, recently, we just found out that Toby Hooper is now dead uh, at the ripe old age of seventy-four, I believe. I yes. think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. died uh, August twenty-sixth, twenty seventeen. Died of natural causes, so at least that, that's pretty good. Left two sons uh, behind, and uh, quite a body of work. Not a huge body of work, but honestly, some of, you know, he's a ground, what can you say? He's a trailblazer. Um, broke, True. Broke some serious ground, uh, had some hits, had some misses, but we are decided that the best way to pay tribute to Toby Hooper, there's really not, nothing else more appropriate uh, than to review Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. I saw this movie pretty late in life. I think I probably picked it up. I might have been in high school. I, I think I was in college, honestly, before I sat down and saw this. You know, this is one of those movies where you hear the title all the time. It's parodied. It's kind of held up as how more exploitation can you get with a title like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Right. And, and honestly, it's funny because even the film doesn't quite do it justice. I was talking to a guy uh, just the other day about our podcast uh, that I just met here in Beijing. And he was a filmmaker, and he's pretty young, pretty young guy. It's funny, because we were talking about the, the films we do, and I mentioned we are going to be doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he said, yeah, he said, I don't really go for the really gory, the, the, the super gory films. I like the more cerebral ones. And I said, you know, I, it's, I'm not saying it's a cerebral film, but actually, no. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not as gory as you think it would be from the title. In fact, there's almost no gore in it at all. I know, and I was really surprised... Um... <laughs> I saw the movie later in life too, and and I've really only actually watched it. Aside from watching it uh, to to record this, I've only seen it like twice. Which I'm a rewatcher of movies, so I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that I've only really seen this a couple of times. But I was reading about it to prep for today, and I was really kind of shocked to find out that um, Hooper intended this to be rated pg like he wanted to keep, <laughs> i know he wanted to keep as much of the gore and the violence uh as as subtle or implied or off screen as possible in the hopes that he would get a pg rating oh my god and then of course he sent it off to the ratings board and they're like x <laughs> <laughs> And he had to do he had to do some trimming even to get it down to an R. But you're right. It's a scary movie. It really is a scary movie. But as far as blood and gore, there's some. It's not like there's not any. But when you compare it to the remakes and the sequels, um, yeah. the remake the remakes the remake especially and the sequels of the remake um, are very very violent and very gory and and by comparison, this one's pretty tame, really. It's tame if with respect to uh, gallons of blood on screen, right? But in its right. presentation, it really just goes to show that you don't have to have gallons of blood on screen to have something pretty shocking and pretty gruesome. 
you know, your mind can fill in the blank blanks pretty quickly, and I'm pretty sure yeah. that that's what the MPAA was going for when they see this. Oh, yeah, this guy runs a chainsaw through a dude in a wheelchair. Uh, you don't have to, like, you can still see it in shadow, and uh, and you get the idea. And Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is actually... Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he made this film for almost nothing. I, it was like a budget... Budget ranges anywhere between sixty thousand to three hundred thousand, depending on you know who you talk to. It sounds like it was more on the low end of that by the end of mm-hmm. the day, and uh, it was only about thirty grand that he raised to make to shoot it. And then it was in the editing that it went over, and they had to raise a little more money. So um, it, it's another sort of sad story on how a film had to make all these basically make all these deals with the devil uh, to get this film made and distributed to the point where at the end of the day even though it was super successful uh, the producers and the actors who worked for deferred payment because they were pretty much unknown and again yeah. they were shooting this on a shoestring um, the actors who were going to get a percentage of the profits basically saw their percentage go down really really low and even by the end of it i think uh, its first theatrical run they had eighty one hundred dollars to divide amongst all of them <laughs> yeah i mean like it was a whole story right like wasn't one of the main producers one of the main guys with the money he was like like a mob boss or something and and they didn't know that going in um, but then it was the same guy who ended up getting in trouble for deep throat i think mm. um <clears throat> And initially, I think I read that um, the actors and the crew each were paid about 400 bucks or something like that for their work. Um, later on, when it came out, like, again, I, I don't think Toby Hooper or, or other people knew exactly, you know, who this guy was or what his connections were, where the money was coming from. But when it came out that he was this, you know, crime guy and um, he was exposed, I think they, they, there, there were there were lawsuits, and um, I think eventually the actors and and crew ended up getting more money. Like, I want to say like one hundred twenty five thousand a piece or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It had kind um, of a, a somewhat happy ending uh, in, in that regard. Right. Yeah, because I think New Line picked it up like in the early eighties and bought the rights to it and distributed it. And so everything beyond that, New Line was careful to give um, a little more to the producers of the film. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because when you see this movie, and I have seen a lot of crap from the 70s. It's kind of something I like. I I feel like the the 1970s in particular were just this golden age, I think, of a certain kind of filmmaking, of independent filmmaking, of just this balls out, so experimental, everybody with a a 16-millimeter camera and connections to a mob boss. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Was making some kind of movie. You've got the whole black exploitation thing. You had the whole deep throat thing. Drive-through cinema was huge. Grindhouse cinema, you know, was making money. And so... All of these wild movies came out around this time, and they're all interesting. I mean, honestly, like even even the bad ones are are so fun to watch. And this movie, if it hadn't been as well made as it was, it would have just been another one of those schlock things that had played in the drive-ins. I really honestly believe that because when you watch this, uh, and again, again now watching it with a real critical eye for this podcast, I was really struck. At the camera work, at the cinematography, at the acting for most of them, 
Yeah. It, it really, even though it's a pretty schlocky type uh, exploitation film at its core, it has some real craft behind it, and I sort of feel like that's probably what saved it. I don't know. You know, to be honest, and, and I know this is our tribute to Hooper, and, and I, I give him mad respect. I mean, he's just everybody just acknowledges that he was a groundbreaker uh, in horror cinema. I mean, it's, there's no, there's no denying that. Um, but I really wasn't all that excited about going back and watching this because mm. I didn't really particularly have very fond memories of it. I just remembered it kind of being okay. Watching it again, I appreciated it more. I think that I had appreciated it in the past, but you love these movies from the seventies and I do too. I really do. But there, there are some of them. And I feel like this kind of falls in the same category as like last house on the left. And I spit on your grave. And I, like yes. That. Yeah. And even the Hills have eyes kind of, mm. um, they're very raw and very violent. And especially last house on the left. And I spit on your grave. They, they're almost so violent and disturbing that, they're almost unpleasant to watch. For sure. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, those two especially deal with graphic rape, which always really bothers me. And this one doesn't go there. But it's got the same kind of dark, gritty violence that almost feels so plausible that <laughs> yeah. that it's it, it's difficult uh, to well, watch. But it, I did appreciate this one more this time around, you know, like you said, watching it with a more critical eye. And, and I actually enjoyed watching it. I, I, it wasn't an unpleasant experience. Let me try to put an adjective to what you're trying to describe. Humorless. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of horror films, especially nowadays, and even then, try to tamper the violence and the gruesomeness with a little bit of humor. There's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek about what's going on. And a lot of the films from this era and the ones you know that you specifically um, rattled off, like you said, I think they're unpleasant to watch because they lack any real sense of humor. This movie maybe has one or two spots where you could kind of find it, but in otherwise, when you're watching it, it's just this dreadful terrible thing happening to people and then it's over mm -hmm. you know and and yeah. honestly craig it's kind of funny hearing that coming from you considering how much you love how much well i shouldn't say love but there are a lot you have a lot of really nice things uh to say about your enjoyment of you know some of the torture porn films that we've reviewed. yeah <laughs> and i'm usually yeah. the guy who's like i don't really see a point to this i found it unpleasant to watch what's the difference between the earlier ones and like the more modern ones because I would say this is almost this is like torture porn, really, in in many ways. I I, I suppose so. I, I I think that with things like Saw and um, Hostel, in those movies, you are almost glad to see the characters <laughs> <laughs> in peril. You know, like they're not particularly likable characters, or or you know, they're so stereotyped, and, and you know what's coming, you just don't care. I, again, like I feel like this one. Uh, and others like it. Uh, these just kind of feel, and some of them are super annoying. Like Franklin in this movie is one of the most annoying characters in cinema oh history. God, yes. I think. <laughs> um, but um, for the most part, it just there's almost, and and I feel like this is intentional because in the beginning there's this opening narration uh, that John Larroquette does, um, which is pretty iconic. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected 
nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so it's almost got kind of a documentary feel to it. I mean, not in the sense that it's shot like a documentary, but it it almost feels like something that could really happen. And of course, as we know, you know, this is loosely based on uh, the story of Ed Gein, uh, who killed a couple people and was just a gross guy in general and was, you know, a grave robber and made um, flesh suits and furniture out of bones and lamps out of flesh and stuff. So it's, it's loosely based on a real story. So these nightmarish things can happen. But there's just something about the way it's different. You know, in, in most movies... And I'm kind of yeah, I'm going out of sequence. I apologize. We'll get to the plot in a second. Sure. But in most movies, you've got you know a menacing villain who's kind of stalking people around, and people are frightened and running away and screaming. And in this movie, it just feels more realistic that a guy just pops out and kills you, like boom, like yeah. <laughs> you have no like, chance. No, there, there's no warning. There's no buildup. There's no chase. It's just like, oh, I'm looking around, and then all of a sudden, I'm dead. You know, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and and there's some gritty realism to that that I think makes it a little scarier than than some of the more modern stuff that we see, which is gory and gross and, and fun to watch. But there there it's is true. a difference. I don't know if I can pinpoint what that difference is, but there is a difference. I think what you said, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's a little more realistic. It's a little more real life. And it's worth saying, because we're paying tribute to him after all, that Toby Hooper started out as a documentary filmmaker. And so probably a lot of what makes this film what it is is due to his background. Um, he spent most of the 60s uh, as a college professor and documentary filmmaker, and he stated that uh, making this film and attributing it to real life was in many ways his his cynicism at the time on TV news and real life. And he just said, you know, you, you watch television and there's all this – terrible horrible uh stuff they're you know getting ratings by showing brain splattered across the road and stuff and of real life and so he felt like by saying that this was a true story uh, was his commentary on that sort of thing you know and then of course you get into what is you know what is entertainment right why do we want to watch this kind of thing well and maybe that's why it resonated with me more yesterday when i watched it than it did when i watched it for the and again like you you know i was very much aware of it how can you not be aware of the texas chainsaw massacre but um i just didn't get around to seeing it until i was a young adult maybe that's why it resonates more with me now because i feel like that's the climate in which we live at least here in the united states i don't know what it like in China, but mm. you know, you don't need to watch horror movies. You can just watch the news. Like, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> and it just seems like it's one terrible, nightmarish thing after another, and and that really is focused on a lot here especially in the beginning. In the beginning, we get a lot of news footage. Uh, like I said, it opens up with that narration from John Larroquette. John Larroquette went on to be famous for his role in Night Court. Uh, and he's a funny guy and he's got a great voice, kind of an iconic introduction. And <laughs> I read that uh, John Larroquette uh, has said, now who knows if this is true or not, but he said that uh, his payment for uh, doing this was a joint. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, for hey. reading, you know, a minute of narration in the beginning, that's, you know, not a bad payment, <laughs> I guess. Um, he, he's also said that uh, he's never seen the movie. I, he said that in 2008. I no don't way. know. I, and I doubt his truthfulness there. But yeah. um, it, it starts out with that, but then it goes into these news reports. Great robbing in Texas is this hour's top news story. An informant led officers of the Muerto County Sheriff's Department to a cemetery just outside the small rural Texas community of Newt early this morning. Officers there discovered what appeared to be a grisly work of art. The remains of a badly decomposed body wired to a large monument. That's kind of the impetus for the beginning of the story. It, it really doesn't have much to do with the action of the story. But um, even after that, when we meet um, the, these five young people who are traveling together in this van, um, we can hear the radio news. And everything that you hear is just horrible. It's just disgusting. It's all violence and murder and mayhem. And um, so I hadn't read apparently what you read about his inspiration for doing this, but it makes perfect sense because we we hear so much of it in these opening scenes. Yeah. And, and I love it too, that it opens up uh, after we see this corpse uh, impaled on there, before we see the van pull up. Uh, it's in the foreground is one of the most Texan things in the world, which is a dead armadillo by the side of the yeah. road. Yeah. <laughs> and Toby Hooper himself is from Texas. So uh, Austin, Texas, actually. So yeah, I just thought that was hilarious. Having, having lived in Texas for a good six years myself, you can't go, uh, you know, two miles down the road without seeing a dead armadillo by the side. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then of course the first thing person we're introduced to is what you call the, the worst character in the world, which I kind of have to agree. And some of it, a lot of it has to do with his acting. Um, but it's a guy named Franklin. Uh, so they pull over by the side of the road, and this guy gets we- uh, wheeled out on a wheelchair out of the van. And he starts to take a leak into a can, which I'm not quite sure why, if he's right, if he's just been by the side of the road anyway. I don't know, they're gonna save it for later or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he falls forward, and his sister Sally comes running to the rescue. And so we have Sally, we have Franklin, a brother and sister. Then there's a guy uh, who's driving the van named Jerry, who reminds me of um, uh, St- Disco Stu from The Simpsons. <laughs> Yeah, or or Bob Ross with his hair. Oh, He's got go. a great perm. <laughs> yeah. he, this guy's seventies through. Between him and Sally's white bell bottoms, this they're seventies through and through. Uh, and then Pam and Kirk, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, they're out. And apparently, they're out because of the news. Yeah. broadcast. Uh, they're going to see if their grandfather was one of the people who was dug up in the cemetery that they're hearing on the news. And then also, I guess, to just sort of visit the old family house with their friends. It's a little vague, kind of why they yeah. see, but it's just sort of like a big road trip. Jerry kind of, I mean, he seems very, I don't know, nondescript uh, in the beginning, but yeah, later on, he kind of picks on Franklin, which... I, I'm I might eat too. <laughs> the kid is he's just so annoying. Like he's in a wheelchair, so I guess you're supposed to kind of feel sorry for him, I guess. And like but and there it seems like Sally kind of looks out for him or whatever, but he's just so annoying. Like his voice is annoying. Yes. I don't believe that he's supposed to be mentally challenged. Um mm. he, he just seems like 
probably because of his physical disability, he's been coddled all of his life. And so he's whiny and, oh gosh, I would guess, I don't know. They're supposed to be what in their early twenties, Yeah, but he acts, he acts like he's about nine. Like, ugh, he's just so obnoxious. That's Silver Slaughterhouse. That's where grandpa used to sell his cattle. Hey, we got an uncle that works at one of those places outside of Fort Worth. Hey, you see those buildings there? That's where they kill them. They bash them in the head with a big sledgehammer. Oh, oh, that's awful. It usually wouldn't kill them on the first lick. I mean, they'd start squealing and freaking out and everything, and they'd have to come up and bash them two or three times. And then sometimes it wouldn't kill them. I mean, they'd skin them sometimes even before they were even dead. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. People shouldn't kill animals for food. Well, they don't do it like that anymore. Now they got this big air gun that shoots a bolt into their skull and then retracts it. It's just boom, it goes boom, and then spank it. I like me. Please change the subject. And, and then they decide to pick up a hitchhiker. You know, there are just parts of this movie that I just don't get. And Franklin is one of them. And I just chalk that up almost to bad acting. Yeah, yeah. So annoying. And this hitchhiker is another one. And before they pick him up, one of them says, gee, I don't know. This guy looks a little weird. Uh, Yeah. But then they get him in this van and they're driving down the road. And this guy just gets – is weirder and weirder. But the fact that they – as this scene progresses, they don't really show any more than like bizarre fascination and then repulsion on on their part. Before finally they kick him out of the van, um, it just seems like it goes on a little too long and goes a little too far before these these folks get the idea that they don't really need to be in the same van with this guy. <laughs> right? You know? And, but yeah, but and okay, all right. So the seventies were a very different time. You know, <laughs> like uh, you know, they, we had just come off the the sixties where it was all you know, love the one you're with and peace and all that stuff. Where and and, and hitchhiking was a thing. People did that, and and people sure. picked up hitchhikers. Um, but you're right. Like one of them, it's Pam who says, I don't know. He looks really weird. Let's not pick him up, but they do anyway. And then he is just so bizarre, but I feel like that's one of the things that makes this movie scary. And so unsettling, like they don't know who they're picking up. This could be anybody. And then he gets in and he's just a total weirdo. I mean, first of all, he looks weird. I mean, he's got like scabs on his face. He's got a big, mark on on his face by one of his eyes that I, I i couldn't tell if it was a birthmark or if it was supposed to be a, a scar or a burn scar or something but it, just his appearance is unsettling and then he's 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 like a kid with adhd like he's <laughs> j- he's jumpy and he's giggly and he he talks weird and franklin has a knife that he's kind of playing with and the hitchhiker takes it uh and just cuts a big gash in his hand and and everybody's like Ew, ah. um, but then they're kind of over it like yeah. that was like that was weird <laughs> he's bleeding all over himself and I'm like what? and he just hands the knife back to to uh, to franklin who just kind of holds it and stares at the knife like Ooh. Hey, you, you can take me to my house i, I live right off this road well i i don't know man we're in pretty much of a hurry how close is it? It's real close. Well, couldn't you just walk? Uh, I mean, if it's so close. You, you, you can have dinner with us. You like head cheese. My brother makes it real good. You like it. I think we better push on that. He's got this camera that he wears around his neck, and he shows them some pictures he's taken at the slaughterhouse, and then he takes a picture of Franklin um, and hands it to It's a 
Polaroid camera, I guess, old timey camera. Yeah. And uh, he, he gives the picture to Franklin and Franklin's like, oh, it didn't turn out very well. And he's like, well, you can pay. It's a good picture. You can pay me now. Two dollars, two dollars for the picture. But uh, Franklin won't pay him. And so he takes the picture and like sprinkles some gunpowder on it and burns it up. And of course, they all freak out about that, too. And then he whips a razor blade, a straight razor out of his sock and slices Franklin's arm with it, um, which I guess is finally the last straw. They pull over the, (laughs) the van and kick him out. But even after that, like. They just wrap up Franklin's arm and they're like, man, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, and they don't even talk about going no. to a hospital or a doctor or anything. They're like, oh, keep on trucking. Or <laughs> <laughs> find a gas station. <laughs> yep. So they do. They pull over at this gas station. I thought this was kind of cool. Um, if you notice in the background of the sign on the gas station, it says "We Slaughter" uh, on the <laughs> the left side of the sign, uh, but then "Barbecue," you know, over on the right. Uh, I and, didn't notice that, but that's yeah. funny. <laughs> and they pull over, and this is uh, you would say it's maybe that old trope of the. In fact, I wonder if this is where it came from. I don't know the old trope of pulling over at the gas station and the kids saying where they're going. Oh, we're going to see the old Franklin house. And not only does this gas station not have any gas, but this guy seems very intent on telling them, uh, you know, you don't want to go out there. You, you, the girls don't want to go out there. I got some barbecue in here. You should just stay, stay and get some barbecue. Um, you know, people own that house uh, franklin says well actually you know my father owns that house he's like oh well he's like people around these parts don't take much to people snooping around their property you know <laughs> I, I think that you're right uh that maybe this trope comes from here i don't know it may have it may have come from somewhere else but we've definitely seen it play out millions of times in horror movies since then uh, i mean it, it reminds me so much of that scene from cabin in the woods where it's the exact same thing i mean they're they're parodying it in cabin in the woods but it's the exact same thing a bunch of 20 somethings pull up in a van to a gas station and the gas station attendant says oh you don't want to go up that way you know like <laughs> <laughs> but, to, we, but we we've seen it so many times at this point that it's almost funny it was probably a little more fresh in 1974 true but but to go kind of on your earlier point there's really not a lot made of it it's not like sinister music kicks in it's not like uh you know he just says it a few times uh it's kind of a suggestion but he doesn't really linger and try to keep them or whatever you know he just kind of leaves and so this is a character who i'd say uh, 10 minutes from now you've kind of forgotten about him you you think you're never going to see this guy again so you know, but what's what, what's interesting about this one to me and what I had forgotten, you know, because I've seen the remake and the remake's pretty loose. I mean, they, they, they take some things from the original, but it's a pretty loose remake. Um, but uh, I remembered even from having seen this before that this guy from the gas station, spoilers, spoilers, if you don't want to, he ends up being one of the bad guys from this bad family. Um, but I thought that this was interesting in that it really seemed like he was legit trying to avoid what eventually happens. Like yeah. he really, he was really trying to warn them, move along, you know, don't linger here. And he was, um, I mean, for real, yeah. I don't think he wanted it, you know, kind of to go down what, what ends up going down. I mean, there's, there are cues to that later anyway, that, 
that uh, this family really probably just more more wants to be left alone, but these kids kind of got in the way a little bit. Right. Um, by the way, before we pass over it by completely, the hitchhiker uh, of all of the people in these film in this film who went on to do almost nothing uh, except for Marilyn, the uh, the lead actress did did a few things. The the hitchhiker guy. Edwin Neal apparently uh, found a niche in the 90s doing voice work for some video and also for video games. I didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? I, I kind of – yeah. What I do know about him is that – you know, I, I, I saw this suggested uh, several times in the stuff that I was reading, but I never saw anything explicit about it. Some of the actors – and crew were not happy with Toby Hooper and were not happy with the way that they were treated uh, during the shooting of this. And Edwin Neal was one of those. Uh, he said that his experience filming this movie was worse than his experience in combat in Vietnam. And he, yeah, and he said it at one point that he hoped he never saw Toby Hooper again because he would kill him if he did. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I and I, you know, I don't know if they ever did see each other again, but um, yeah. And and you say that none of these people, you, and you're right. You know, most of these people were unknowns. They didn't go on to do a lot. Um, several of them, including uh, Marilyn Burns, Sally, and and I think Edwin Neal too. I, I don't remember exactly, but se- they've made cameos in some yeah. of the sequels and and remakes and things. Gunnar Hansen, though, Leatherface, he's been still relatively prominent. Sure. Uh, especially in, in the horror industry. Um, but yeah, most of them were unknowns at the time and really didn't go on to do much more. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. Again, you know, the, Toby Hooper, this is your tribute. I'm not trying to disparage you in, in any way, but I, I would be interested to read more about why some of these people had such a negative experience. I mean, I know that they because they had such a limited budget um they were working 16 hour days 7 days a week in the summer in Texas so it was like 100 plus degree weather uh, every day and and they were doing this solid for like four weeks um and things got really unpleasant just because of the heat you know they you've got all this in certain scenes, you've got, you know, raw, rotting meat in the summer heat. Um, Gunnar Hansen, uh, who plays Leatherface, and uh, Sally, Marilyn Burns, they couldn't afford to be constantly remaking their, their costumes. So they had to wear the same thing throughout, you know, long periods of time in the heat. And they stank. And, you know, like, <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad in some scenes um, that crew members were barfing and passing out because of the stench um so i can imagine to some extent why it may have been uh, unpleasant but um i feel like there's there's history there that would be very interesting but i don't know that i'm unaware of at this point you know maybe we'll we'll hear more of it now that he's gone you know because maybe it's, it's interesting because um coincidentally not not sh- I, fairly shortly before he died there's always been this rumor that toby hooper didn't really direct Poltergeist. It was mostly Steven right. Spielberg, and it was just shoot just just less than a month ago, I think, that uh, there a few of the actors from Poltergeist spoke out for the first time and said, "Yeah, absolutely." Steven Spielberg was on the set the whole time, and Toby Hooper was there. And the way they said, they said he was a nice guy. He he was he was cool. He always gave good suggestions and things like that. But it was really Spielberg running the show. So you got this impression, at least from what they said, was yeah, he was a pretty chill dude who just sat there and smiled the whole time so to hear that he was terrible (laughs) on this set you know seems like a complete 180 but who knows you know who knows 
So uh, they leave there and they go up to the old house and explore it, basically. So uh, Sally goes upstairs with some of the people. I mean, this house is nothing. It's just some walls and it's completely overgrown with green. And <laughs> But like they've gone up and they're gallivanting around this house laughing and goofing off. And apparently they've just left Franklin in the van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's... He's fascinated by okay that when the hitchhiker um, when they kicked him out he smeared some of his blood on the van and Franklin is convinced that like he has marked the van so he can find them later and so he's fascinated by that but then they leave him and humorless you said before you, you know I, I understand what you mean but there is a little bit yeah. it, it's even it's laughing at Franklin's expense really I mean True. he's so annoying and then he's trying to wheel himself into the house and he's like <laughs> and he's like grunting and he's screaming for Sally and like he can't get himself over this debris and like into the house and then when he finally gets in the house he throws a tantrum like a kid like, <laughs> Come on, Franklin. It's going to be a fun trip. If I have any more fun today, I don't think I'm going to be able to take it. It's a little bit bizarre, frankly, it's but... kind of an embarrassing scene, I think, honestly. Like, uh, if I had been the director, I would have been like, all right, we're not, we're not doing this, you know? <laughs> or, or, yeah, like... Good try, buddy, but that will end up on the cutting room floor. (laughs) (laughs) But he does see something ominous. He sees a pillow with a bunch of crazy bones in it, some feathers, something that was obviously put there. But before he can really say anything about it, Pam and Kirk decide to go to the swimming hole that uh, Franklin apparently earlier on had told them was down down the way from the house. It's just there's a path off behind those old two sheds down there. Exactly. So they go down the path, and the swimming hole is completely dried up. Uh, but uh, down there near the swimming hole, they see another house just a little ways beyond. And he's thinking, because uh, Jerry's pretty worried, I guess, as the driver, that they're going to run out of gas. He said it a few times. So uh, he thinks maybe if they can go down there, and he's like, I can leave my guitar with them as like collateral. You know, uh, he's got this all worked out. And uh, as he's walking up to this place, it's really just a, there's a big shed out there. There's uh, some things that should look pretty ominous. Now, if I've learned yeah. anything from horror movies, if you stumble onto a property and there's a whole bunch of old cars on the property... Get the hell out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they're covered with camouflage. There's big camouflage right. netting all over. Nobody wants anybody to know these old cars are here. <laughs> but, of course, you know, the same people who are throwing camouflage netting over these old cars are cheerfully uh, hanging up mobiles of creepy things j- dangling just outside, right? <laughs> right, right. One thing that I really appreciated about this movie, you and I are terrible ramblers. You know, we can stretch the things out for days um but the truth is this this move everything happens so quickly like it just moves like oh we go to the old swimming hole oh it's dry oh look here's the new house um and and they they knock on the door and keith uh, you know, nobody answers. Uh, so uh, Keith goes in while uh, Pam goes out and sits on a porch swing, which is not on the porch, is out in the yard. And he goes in. And he's like, hello, hello, is anybody here? Boom, out steps Leatherface, 
nails him in the head with the sledgehammer. He's down on the ground uh, convulsing, um, and and then he gets another smack to the head with the sledgehammer, and he's done. You know, you get this iconic scene of this like big metal door slamming uh, as Leatherface takes him into his lair or whatever. And then immediately, uh, Pam goes up to the house and is like, uh, Kirk, where are you? Blah, blah, blah. And she goes in and um, she stumbles into a room full of bones. And again, more of this morbid, you know, kind of bone sculpture kind of stuff. A lot of it is clearly uh, human remains. And she barfs and uh, she runs out of that room. Leatherface appears. And again, it, I think it's one of the more iconic images from the movie. She tries to run out the front door, but he grabs her around the waist from behind and just picks her up and pulls her kicking and screaming back into the house and then hangs her up on a meat hook and proceeds to carve up Kirk right in front of her. And all of this happens in like four to five minutes. Like it's yeah. just so fast. It's so fast paced. And I appreciate that. And I think that it works really well and it adds to the tension and the fear that these things aren't drawn out. I mean, it's just boom, 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 right in a row with all this violence. It's an interesting juxtaposition really of pacing because when Pam stumbles into that room into a pile of chicken feathers on the floor and it's freaking out and staring around the movie takes a good two minutes, at least, to linger around that room and show you close-ups of this and close-ups of that. They show you the bone sofa. They show you the bones hanging up. They show you this crazy little altar thing that looks like it's made out of bones. Then every now and then they're showing the chicken in the cage, you know, squawking at him. It, uh -huh. it takes its time really showing you and lingering on all of these things. But then, like you say, the brutal, horrible things that happen to the people just happen so quickly then they're over. It, it's part of what makes it so shocking is because... Uh, I think is that juxtaposition. That pacing throws you off. You know, what we described sounds horrific, and it comes across as terribly horrific. There's almost no gore. Uh, right. What's horrible about it is not just what's happening, but how matter-of-fact it is. There's a very dispassionate camera at work here. Well, and I, I think that it is. I mean, it says something, and again, I've said this a million times, you know so much more about cinematography than I do, but from my limited perspective... It, it's kind of like a documentary in a sense that it lingers on things like it's showing us details, but it also feels very nightmarish in that it's very focused on individual images. Like, let's take a few seconds to linger on this. Isn't this scary? Let's take a few seconds to linger on this. And and it does uh, it, it intense close-ups on the actor's faces and eyes especially it's nightmarish it feels like a nightmare it feels like you feel often in a nightmare where certain imagery or at least you know you you wake up and you have those flashes of those scary and intense moments and i feel like hooper captured that well in his direction yeah and a thing that i guess he captured well too and what gunner hansen in his acting did very well is the fact that leatherface seems like he is a guy working in a slaughterhouse just doing his job yeah you know he just does all this without like he's done it a million times and like it's part of his day and again it's not like the camera zooms in on his face or really makes a dramatic big deal about it he doesn't make these dramatic entrances uh they're not these moments where they're creeping around this quiet house and you're just waiting for the jump scare it's just 
these guys wandered into the room. He was there. He whacks them. It's pretty much over. And then he does what he what he does with the cows. You know, hangs one up on a meat hook. Except this one's alive, and she gets to watch as her boyfriend gets uh, gets carved up in front of her. Well, and we kind of we kind of touched on this earlier by saying, you know, the gas station guy kind of seems like he was trying to avoid this, but that's what makes Leatherface in this movie. Now, there there are so many Texas Chainsaw movies at this point, and and they really have gone all over the place in terms of tone and and uh, violence and all that stuff. But in this movie, it really just seems like these people stumbled into his lair. He doesn't have an agenda, you know, like he's not out intentionally stalking and murdering people you know there's no vendetta or anything it's just these people were stupid enough to intrude into his space and so he killed them you yeah. know like, basically <laughs> like, if they would have just gone away you know like if <laughs> if when nobody answered the door if they had just gone away and not you know gone into his house they probably would have been fine um and and i think that makes him interesting as a, a villain He's also interesting. You know, I read that uh, uh, Gunnar Hansen really wanted to get into the character of, of this guy. And he decided through his character study that this was somebody who was mentally handicapped and had not had the opportunity to ever be socialized. He was never sent to school. He was never, you know, even, you know, in a school for, for people with special needs. He never had um, that kind of opportunity. And so his development was just stunted and he just, all he knew was what he knew from his own environment, which included the slaughterhouse. And he tried to, you know, portray that, that he was somebody who was challenged mentally and, and you can see it. And I feel like you see it more in this iteration than in any other mm. his 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 voice is high-pitched and almost childlike yeah i guess in the script that he, he it was scripted that he had lines but it was just mumbles and incoherent and then it would also have next to that what he was trying to say so that gunner hansen knew what he was trying to say but it comes out as totally incoherent to us the audience um and maybe maybe partially coherent to the other men that he lives with because he's lived with them for so long, but there's, there's almost a childlike quality to him. And, you know, he's the big one. He's the tough one. Um, but he cowers to the other guys yeah. uh, in his family in a very childlike way. Again, I read this, I don't know how accurate this was, but um, I, I guess that critics and even proponents or, or advocates for um, the mentally challenged or disabled have said that he actually did a pretty good job of, of portraying somebody with those kinds of challenges. <laughs> now, you know, to an extent. I mean, it's a horror movie. He's a villain. But um, it, it, at the very least, it's interesting. And it's, it's, it's cool to know that he really put thought into it. His uh, acting is, is pretty good. I think another thing, like a lot of these kind of movies, the actors wouldn't have gone to those lengths and wouldn't have put so much thought into their characters as uh, as he did, you know, which again, right. is another reason why it sets this apart a little bit. Well, and it just goes to show, you know, it this was shot on a very low budget and they all went in knowing that they all knew that this was not going to be something that was necessarily going to be personally profitable for them, but they put their heart and soul into it. And maybe that's what made it so good. I don't know. But from this point, 
and up to this point, you know, the movie is fast paced in general. The the first, I don't know, 15 minutes, maybe drag a little bit, but not so much that you're bored necessarily. No. But then once, once we get, uh, you know, these first kills, it moves super fast. Jerry goes off to find, uh, the other two who had already gone. Um, it, it, he ends up at the house. Same thing. He goes in the house and, and finds kind of the slaughter room. Uh, something is rumbling in the freezer, and he opens it up, and there's Pam in the freezer. And then, boom, here's Leatherface, another another uh, sledgehammer to the head for another one of these characters. Yeah. And he's done. That's it. We cut back to uh, Sally and, and Franklin. As Sally and Franklin, <laughs> who have endless patience. <laughs> <laughs> who by well, golly. they're getting... They're getting nervous and scared, and Franklin wants to leave. He wants to go get help, but they they realize that they don't have the keys. Somebody else has the keys, so they have to go looking, which this is just kind of ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't make any sense that she would be able to push his wheelchair through the terrain that we have seen no. other people go through, but they do. I mean, they don't have any other choice, and so they go, and then they're walking through the forest, and then... <laughs> right in front of them. Franklin just gets sliced right down the middle. But again, like you said, we see it from behind Franklin and it's very dark and it's in the forest. So we don't actually see a lot of gore, but we definitely can paint the picture in our own mind of what uh, is, is happening here. And Sally runs off and runs off screaming. And then this is one of the things that put me off of this movie the first couple times I watched it. It didn't bother me so much this time around. But the next 15 minutes is just this girl running around screaming like a howler monkey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel for this actress because her poor throat must have just been destroyed because she is literally just screaming and screaming. And, and they run through the forest and he's chasing her. And of you know, I read no matter how quickly she ran, um, Gunnar Hansen was always faster than her. So he had to try to do things to try to make it believable that he couldn't catch up with her. So he's like sawing through branches in the forest and <laughs> waving the chainsaw around and they're running and running and running. And they get to the house and she goes up the stairs and she finds what appears to be two old corpses and she finds all these bones and things and then Leatherface is right behind her so she jumps out of a two-story window and then they he chases her back through the forest and they end up back at the gas station and um, this you know I've already spoiled it the gas station manager is one of them um, but I felt like this was probably one of the more unsettling scenes for me yeah. uh, did you feel the same way oh absolutely and i remember that when i first saw this i really wasn't expecting him to uh, i was expecting him to get it you know i wasn't expecting him to be one of them right um, right she's like we have to call the cops we have to call the cops he says well there's no phone here but there's a phone in the nearby town i'll go get the truck um, and he leaves, and she just sits there. And again, this is one of those scenes that's just like the other girl stumbling into the bone room. And she's sitting here in this gas station, and she sees the oven with the meat hanging in there. And it just lingers over this barbecue, which is the last thing she wants to see after she saw her brother getting cut up. Um, but then he comes back in, and he has a rope, and he has a bag, and he's smiling. Yeah, it gets 
pretty brutal here. This guy's a real jerk and uh, seems to take real delight in torturing people. And so um, he, there's just a very uncomfortable scene where he wrestles her down, um, hits her a few times, um, ties her up, puts this bag over her head, drags him into his car, truck. Oh, and then he runs back in because he forgot to turn off the lights. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's, and then as he's... Well, tra- and- Go ahead. Well, oh, I feel like you were going to maybe say the same thing that I was going to say. Part of what makes it so unsettling is that he talks to her in kind of a gentle manner, like he's trying to comfort her. And like he's got her in this sack down in the floorboard of the passenger side of his truck. And he's like, are you okay down there? Are you feeling okay? Meanwhile, he's like jabbing her with a big stick (laughs) and enjoying it. Like it's just a a weird juxtaposition of the way that he talks to her. And then the fact that he's also tormenting her physically at the same time. I mean, he's, he's, he's messed up. You know, he's obviously part of this messed up family and they're all messed up. And then he pulls in uh, to the the house again, and on the way in, there's our hitchhiker again, his headlights, and he runs out and he says, I told you, and I told you, I told you, never leave your brother-in-law, you, get, get in her, get that girl out of the car, get her out, get her out of the car, get her out of the car. This whole scene, I think, is probably what most people remember the most about this movie. Yeah. Uh, and I, and from what I remember reading, is the part that drove all these actors to pretty much want to Toby Hooper's head on a platter in front of him. Yeah. She wakes up. It's in this dining room of this house, and sitting around the table are the hitchhiker, Leatherface, uh, the guy from the gas station, and the corpse from upstairs. Right, well, who turns out not to be a corpse? He looks like a corpse. Oh my um, gosh! It, it, and it's it's so gross. He looks he it's disgusting. Um, and one of the first things that happens is the hitchhiker and Leatherface restrain her, and one of them cuts her finger and puts it in the corpse's mouth, and the corpse starts sucking on her finger. And again, we get these intense close-ups of her eyes, and she's been screaming, 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 and then this happens, and she's so horrified that she falls silent and we just see the terror in, in the close up in oh, her eyes. It's so, <clears throat> it's so, yeah. And, and part of the reason that this ended up being so torturous is because I, I read that the guy who played um, grandpa, when they did his makeup, it took like five or more hours or something to do that. And he said, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> i'm not going through this again so you better film everything that you want of me now and again you know i'm reading all this stuff online i can't verify its truth but um what i read was that they ended up shooting for like 36 hours straight just so that they could get this this most of it was this scene it's an intense scene and it's a lot of her screaming and them mocking her you know and that's like she she wakes up and she immediately starts screaming and they immediately start mocking her like they're like they scream and they howl like dogs and they're laughing at her and there's some weird um dynamics going on between these guys like it seems like the gas station guy is kind of the patriarch aside from grandpa, who's basically a corpse, he's kind of the patriarch and he's in charge, but he also doesn't like doing the dirty work. Um, and, and so the hitchhiker kind of gives him some crap for that saying, Oh, he, he talks big, but he's really just the cook. Uh, and, and the old guy says, 
oh yeah, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Um, <laughs> but but it's obvious that they're they're going to kill her. And the scene goes on for a little while, and it's very tense. Basically, what it ends up is, yes, we are going to kill you. Here's how it's going to happen. It'll oh, be fast. Gosh. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> but but then the the I think it's the hitchhiker says, "Let's let Grandpa do this one. He was the be- he was the best killer of them all." And so they he unties. She's been tied up to a chair. The hitchhiker unties her and takes her and holds her over a metal tub. And Leatherface is trying to give Grandpa the sledgehammer, but Grandpa, being a corpse can't doesn't have the strength to hold it and so like he keeps trying to hit her and he misses several times and then he starts actually hitting her but just like like a glancing blows right right like the sledgehammer is just kind of dropping on her head which of course would hurt terribly but it's not enough to knock her out or to kill her and apparently they used a real hammer for some of these Oh my god! <laughs> and, and and so like yeah, maybe that's where this hatred for Hooper came in. I read even the the earlier scene with the guy in the um in the chair when I guess when they shot it. Even though I didn't see anything, it was seemed to all be in shadow to me. Apparently, when they shot it, you know, they he was swinging a real chainsaw within like three inches of this guy's. Oh my god! This guy's face, yeah. Um, it also gets kind of wackadoodle too. Like he really throws in this almost psychedelic shots where the music and sound effects just go all over the place. It's it's like audio chaos of bongs and bangs and timpanies and things. And visually, it gets that way too. We get like all kinds of close ups and medium shots and extreme close ups and stuff on her mm-hmm. eyes and these different angles, and it, it just kind of flips out, you know, visually mm-hmm. to portray I think her own panic and. Yeah. and terror in here and I think it's pretty effective although at times it gets a little a little too artsy <laughs> yeah I, I guess I, I understand what you're saying but I actually did find it to be very effective you know it, it kind of puts you in her shoes a little bit where she's so panicked and so scared that things are very fragmented and yeah, I, I thought it worked well I liked it well, then uh, the way that she escapes is just in the chaos of this whole, all this, this trying to hit her in the head with a hammer. Uh, somehow, I guess her bonds get free, and uh, she jumps up and is able to run away. And she jumps out a window and comes out into daylight, mm-hmm. which I took. It's it's kind of shocking actually because you imagine it's night. That's that's what you're getting here. And, but we've seen a whole cycle from from night uh, to day again. They're very cle- He's very deliberate about that too. We get different yeah. shots of the sun as it goes down, and, and different shots yeah. of the moon as the movie goes. I almost interpreted this as a kind of waking up from the nightmare kind mm-hmm. of moment where suddenly the scene changes so much, kind of like in a dream where you can be dreaming about one thing and then suddenly the scene just completely changes. Seems to be what happens to her. And now she's out running down the road uh, and uh, the hitchhiker chases after her uh, in a very satisfying moment. They're up on the road and he's chasing her down the road and there's a big truck coming down, a big semi, and it takes him out uh, pretty brutally. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you expected that to fly on a PG movie or not, but... Uh... You see uh, shots from this movie, scenes from this movie in clips a lot if you're watching anything about horror, and this is one of the ones you see of Leatherface chasing her down the road, and uh, a semi pulls over 
and the driver jumps out and helps her into the cab of his truck. Leatherface is right there, and he's like got he's going at the door with his chainsaw. So they both jump out the passenger side and start running. I kind of had forgotten this. I kind of felt like she got rescued, and that was it. But the two of them, the driver and she, go off running. And then this happens so quickly, I feel like I may have even missed something. Does the driver just turn around and punch Leatherface? No. Is that what? He picks what up does he a, do? He picks up a wrench, and he turns around, and he chucks it at him and hits him in the head with it. Okay. I, I think yeah. I must have been writing because I, <laughs> I think I missed that. So Leatherface falls over backwards. And uh, that he, he drops the chainsaw so that it, it cuts into his own leg. But then he gets up and runs off or, or, or continues to chase them. And here's something else that I think that I missed because this pickup truck flies by but sees what's going on and slams on the brakes and kind of does a 180 in the road. And she jumps in the back of the pickup, and it's like the pick the driver can't get it started again. But at the last minute, he does get it start get it started takes off down the road and we see her screaming and kind of maniacally laughing in the back as, as she drives away and Leatherface in his frustration just stands in the highway and swings around uh, the, the chainsaw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Swinging around the chainsaw and then it cuts to black and that's the end. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's fairly iconic as, as far as scenes go, but what happened to the other truck driver? <laughs> did we see what happened no i guess i guess he just stood there and watched it all or maybe he got back in his truck and took off or something <laughs> i didn't remember that at all but and i was you know as she was i'm glad that she's being rescued um but i'm like wait what happened to that other guy <laughs> too, right? well it's just it's so sudden and I remember thinking this too when I watched this movie the first time like wow this is it, it I mean it, again just like everything else it all happens quite fast and again I I have to say much like what you said about this movie from the beginning it all plays fairly true it's not overly dramatic it all seems very sloppy like how things might go in real life the fact that a guy just turns around and chucks a wrench at him, you know, which causes him right. to fall. And, you know, except for the fact that he can get up and walk after a chainsaw has fallen on his leg. Right. But she's really only saved by the fact that this truck driver just happened to come by. And then he just takes off again. We don't know who he is. We never know who he is. He's just a guy. There's no victory in it anywhere. It just ends. And it ends in silence. We've had yes. we've had quite a bit of music throughout this movie, and again, a lot of it was mostly ethereal, and then it gets pretty crazy. But it's a very good use of music, I think, in the film. It's mostly well, it's, atmospheric. It's, I was going to say it's interesting that you call it music because there there is some music, like in the gas station, there's the radio playing. Um, but they said that with the sound design, they wanted to stay away from traditional orchestration. They wanted to try to use sounds that an animal would hear in a slaughterhouse. This movie is considered a classic, and it's it's and I and, and I understand why. I, I think that it should be. You know, I do think that it was groundbreaking, um, and it clearly paved the way for so many things. First of all, you know, there have been 
I, I don't even know how many sequels and, and remakes and, and sequels to remakes. I mean, we're getting probably up close to 10 at this point, I would say. It's, it's so different than any other franchise and that most of the other franchises try to maintain some sense of continuity. And the people behind this franchise just really kind of seem not to care. So, so the backstory changes, the characters change from movie to movie, sequel to sequel, remake to remake. Um, of course, Leatherface is always central. Um, but even, you know, Toby Hooper directed the second one too, if I remember correctly, and they went in a completely different direction. The second movie could be considered a comedy just as easily as it could be considered a horror movie. Right. I mean, it's, it's wackadoodle and, and silly, but fun. Like, it really is fun. Um, and I've seen them all. Um, I feel like the third one had Dennis Hopper as like the, or maybe it was the second. second I get the second one, yeah. and the third one. Yeah, I get the second one and the third one mixed up. Um, and then the fourth one had a young Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. And Matthew McConaughey really was off the wall and crazy, but it was fun. And then you had the remakes and the sequels to the remake, which went really dark. And then there was Texas Chainsaw 3D, which totally retconned it and made things different and set it in modern day and tried to kind of tie it to the first one, but it was loosely connected. And we've got a new one coming out, too. Uh, I think the new one, I think, is called Leatherface, but that's going to kind of handle the backstory of uh, how Leatherface became Leatherface. So it's this kind of crazy madcap series of movies, um, but it works. People want more of it, you know, and and really it has established itself and, and maintained its popularity as much, if not more so, than some of its contemporaries, like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and, and all of those. Um, so clearly, Mr. Hooper was was on to something good here, and uh, his legacy uh, is, is going to live on for a very long time. Well, you can see the inspiration of things that came before it, such as Psycho... Uh, I think, and especially about the grandparents and stuff in the, you know, in the attic and whatnot. Uh, and also, you can see what it influenced as its place in time as being one of those. I think one of the first of these silent, unstoppable, hulky, masked killers. You know, mm-hmm. Jason, obviously, you know, very much drawn from this as well. Uh, and even apparently, Ridley Scott said that uh, it was an inspiration when he was working on Alien, of all things. Wow. Uh, I'm not quite sure where that where that falls, but uh, he, that's what he said anyway. And, and look at Rob Zombie. I mean, House of a oh, Thousand yeah. Corpses is virtually a remake of this movie. But honestly, if it had come out today, it'd just be another one of these movies, right? Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's not that good. You know, you, you have to look at it through the lens of history, obviously. Right, right. Um, but um, it's it's kind of a shame, really. I, I thought we would see a lot more out of Toby Hooper. And he did a few things like Life Force. He did Eaten Alive, which I remember seeing, which I I thought was really schlocky at the time. It'd be interesting to go back and look at uh, about a a guy who runs a hotel and has alligators like under the is either in the basement or under the porch out in front or something like that and feeds people to it. Um, Life Force was pretty critically panned, but he said there was there was all kinds of studio interference that made that turn out the way he he didn't want it. Then there's Poltergeist, which you know he'd been given the credit for all this time, but it sort of turns out that Steven Spielberg actually did the directing on that. Right. So when you kind of look at his production afterwards, I don't think any of it really has reached up. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. What am I missing here? He he went into did a lot more TV and kind of small movies after that. I think. 
and he did a lot of things like with horror anthologies, like Masters of Horror and things mm-hmm. like that, and 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 good stuff. Um, and you know, some of the, the movies you mentioned, like Life Force, yeah, it didn't do particularly well, but it has a big following. Invaders from Mars, I think he did, oh, was yeah. a remake that he was actually really proud of, and a lot of people really liked. But I like he was, that one. he was, yeah, he was attempting to make a, a horror movie for kids um or at least that was kid friendly i don't remember it i'd like to watch it we should do it sometime I but nothing nothing really lived up to to this really um and it's it's strange because you you, you hear his name all the time and other filmmakers give him credit all the time and, and cite him as an inspiration. He was clearly respected uh, in in the horror filmmaking community, and that has to be for a reason. He may not have had the same oeuvre of work as some of the other filmmakers that we talked about, um, but he clearly made an impact, and you have to give respect to somebody who is, is going to go down in, in horror history um, as a groundbreaker and as an inspiration. You, you hope that you can leave that kind of legacy, and I think that he did. That's true. And I have to say, even though I said, you know, if this had come out today, it, it wouldn't be anything because there's just so much like it now, obviously, because it kind of came from this. I'll have to say, when I when I rewatched it this time, yeah, I was pretty brutalized by it. I, it, it really it still had an emotional impact on me. You know, there's, there's a lot you could say about the uncomfortability of it, the violence toward women aspect of it, that's just, it's its really pretty raw and in your face. And even today, that aspect of it really does hold up. Agreed. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoy it, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also find us on Facebook, where you can like us, our page there, and leave us some comments about what you thought of this film, as well as any films you'd like us to watch in the future. Until that time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Chainsaw.